Hey there, welcome back. And uh, let's see what's going on with Mudge Touch. About 6.30 p.m. Um, my name is Trita for Presidente. And I babysit the Mudge Touch. Mugshots for traitors. Trump is surrounded by prosecutors on all sides. You can't handle it. Legal AF. Streamed six minutes ago. But thanks for 238k. Introducing all the president's bands trying to get as far away from Audit Willis as possible. All the way to federal court and Judge Jones. Mark Meadows and Jeffrey Clark are first up to try to argue that they belong in federal court, not state for the criminal prosecution against them, and that they are immune from suit altogether. And that they shouldn't even have to bother with being arrested and booked and mugshotted at the Rice Street Jail. How well did that go over with the federal judge this evening? We have the results, so we'll let you know. Then, while Judge McAfee is busy as a bee asserting that he does have jurisdiction over all 19 co-conspirators in the Fulton County Courthouse, setting bond conditions and conditions of relief, a release as they all come in one at a time for a mugshot. We're going to talk about Fulton County. That's really where this criminal trial belongs and where Fawny uh, Willis is prepared to prosecute. And what's going on in Mar-a-Lago these days? That's been on the ball. And a series of things that Jack Smith's team That's Mar-a-Lago. just drive Judge Cannon and Trump's lawyers batty, including driving a wedge between the maintenance worker IT guy and the butler, along with the candlestick maker, butcher, and baker. And then finally, Jack Smith's team fires back at the absurd request by Trump's team before Judge Chutkin in the DC Circuit to have his trial there about election interference happen in April of 2026. And so much more. And we have sponsors for our pro democracy legal and political analysis. And I am joined, as always, I'm Michael Popak with my co-anchor, Karen Friedman. Magnifico. Hello, how are you? Hey, Karen. Great. We were, we were talking pre-show. Today, that it's almost an embarrassment of riches how much content, because we look at it, this as content, is, is out there. So many orders by federal judges, so many filings by the... Uh, the Georgia 19, for lack of a better term, as they try to wriggle their way from under the criminal prosecution of the Georgia criminal case. And then, you know, Jack Smith has to, and his team have to keep all that straight, be consistent with their filings and what they say as they prosecute in two other locations that, uh, that we're going to talk about today. Judge Chutkin. And in D.C., we have a hearing coming on the 28th in front of her to set the trial with the bid-ask established already as January 2024 for the, for the feds and April of 2026. I didn't say it with a straight face. For Trump's team. And then we got to keep an eye, because you got to keep an eye on Judge Cannon, on what she's doing down in... Um, Miami or in Fort Pierce, Southern District of Florida, about things like 
She hasn't even entered a protective order yet to allow for the continued production of documents. She's asking maintenance workers to weigh in about classified and confidential documents. She's scheduling and canceling out of the blue um, hearings about confidential documents. And she seems utterly confused about how grand juries work under the federal system. We're covering all of that tonight and whatever else pops into our brain as we continue. What do you think, Karen? You want to kick it off with all the activity? It's like a beehive of activity in Georgia. The one that's every, that's lighting up the internet, it's going to break the internet, is the mugshots. For those that said, there they are, for those that said, I want to see mugshots. Oh, we got mugshots. This looks like a perverse game of the Brady Bunch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Salty. Jenna Ellis as Marsha. Uh, we've got uh, the, the maid being played by, uh, by uh, Kathy uh, Chatham or Latham there. And on the bottom left, Ray Smith, little-known character from Brady Bunch, the neighborhood. Just tweeted that. Oh, man. Boys are back in town. Boys are back in town. Trump disqualification procedures have started. So what's next? We're gonna listen to that next. Lights on with Jessica Benson. Come out, Trump. You're surrounded on all sides. Come up with your hands up. You're under arrest, motherfucker. Upshot at the Rice Street Gym. How well did that go over with the federal judge? This evening, we have the results, so we'll let you know. Then, while Judge McAfee is busy as a bee asserting that he does have jurisdiction over all 19 co-conspirators in the Fulton County Courthouse, setting bond conditions and conditions of relief, a release as they all come in one at a time for a mug shop. We're going to talk about Fulton County. That's really where this criminal trial belongs and where Fawny uh, Willis is prepared to prosecute. And what's going on in Mar-a-Lago these days? That's been on the phone. And a series of things that Jack Smith's team do to just drive Judge Cannon and Trump's lawyers batty, including driving a wedge between the maintenance worker IT guy and the butler, along with the candlestick maker, butcher, and baker. And then finally, Jack Smith's team fires back at the absurd request by Trump's team before Judge Chutkin in the D.C. Circuit Court to have his trial there about election interference happen in April of 2026. Uh -huh. And so much more. And we have sponsors for our pro-democracy legal and political analysis. And I am joined, as always, I'm Michael Popak, with my co-anchor, Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Hi, Karen. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. We were, okay. we were talking pre-show, as we're doing hot takes today, that it's almost an embarrassment of riches how much content, as we look at it, this is content. Is, is out there. So many orders by federal judges, so many filings by the uh, the Georgia 19, for lack of a better term, as they try to go under the criminal process.
prosecution of the Georgia criminal case. And then, you know, Jack Smith has and his team have to keep all that straight, be consistent with their filings and what they say as they prosecute in two other locations that, uh, that we're going to talk about today. Judge Chutkin and in D.C. We have a hearing coming up on the 28th in front of her to set the trial with the bid-ask established already as January 2024 for the for the feds and April of 2026, I can't even say it with a straight face, for Trump's team. And then we got to keep an eye, because you got to keep an eye on Judge Cannon, on what she's doing down in um, Miami or in Fort Pierce, Southern District of Florida, about things like she hasn't even entered a protective order yet to allow for the continued production of documents. She's asking maintenance workers to weigh in about classified and confidential documents. She's scheduling and canceling out of the blue um, hearings about confidential documents. And she seems utterly confused about how grand juries work under the federal system. We're covering all of that tonight and whatever else pops Remember into our brain as we continue. Sake. What do you think, Karen? You want to kick it off with all the activity? It's like a beehive of activity in Georgia. The one that's every, that's lighting up the Internet, it's going to break the Internet, is the mugshots. For those that said, there they are. For those that said, I want to see mugshots. Oh, we got mugshots. This looks like a perverse game of the Brady Bunch. Mm. Good. Thank, mm. you. Thank you. Thank you, Salty. Jenna Ellis is Marsha. Uh, we've got uh, the, the maid being played by oh, uh, by uh, Kathy uh, Chatham or Latham there. And on the bottom left, Ray Smith, a little-known character from Brady Bunch, the neighborhood sex offender, uh, because I don't know what that's supposed to be. Everybody took this a little bit differently. David Schaefer, who's, who's I'll take in the square in the middle to block, he decided he was going to make a joke out of it and make it his new LinkedIn profile and his new Twitter profile. And isn't that nice? And Kathy Latham wore some sort of inappropriate top. Rudy Giuliani, I don't know what he's doing. He, he's got a weird grimace on. And then there are people there, of course, that um, and, and know they're under serious state indictment. So, Karen, you Stop pick it up. You're the big... prosecutor on the team. Talk about the qualities differences that we're seeing already in state Georgia prosecution uh, arrest arraignment process to what you see normally in the federal system and then we'll talk uh, separately about Meadows maybe Giuliani and Clark trying to get federal judge Jones Obama appointee to rule in their favor and get as far away from Judge McAfee as possible yeah, you know, so much is going on. I, I'm worried that I'm not going to keep it all straight. So if I mess something up, you, you'll correct me because there's really so many filings and so much going on with each of these 19 defendants that it's going to be hard to predict exactly how this is going to go. So step one is everybody has to surrender by Friday. Uh, Bonnie Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, as a courtesy, gave everybody two weeks to show up and surrender and go to the Fulton County Jail and and go and get fingerprinted and mugshots and processed and arrested. And in New York, we don't have a procedure like that. In New York, you go to, when you get arrested, that you immediately have to go before a judge in 24 hours. There is no negotiating bond 
ahead of time like that, the way they have in Georgia. And so here, there's a, a disconnect between the arrest and the arraignment, and everybody has to be there by Friday. So far, about half have shown up. Uh, Trump is coming on Thursday evening or at late afternoon. And that's when he's turning himself in. And many of them have negotiated through their lawyers a bond release uh, where you will have a certain amount of money that you have to put up and a certain number of conditions. And there's the list right there. Thank you, Salty, um, of the various uh, of the various counts and dollar amounts affixed for Trump that all equal a total of about two hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, bond conditions. And then here are the other conditions that Trump had to has to follow. And most noteworthy is that the defendant. Uh, cannot, has to refrain from intimidation of any person known uh, to be a part of the case, to be a witness, etc. Et and they, it also talks about social media and reposting and things that could affect the, the administration of justice in addition to witnesses and co-defendants and victims. Um, and so this is a very broad, uh, a broad order that, that says basically watch it you know we're watching you and we've seen what you've done in other cases and you better not cross the line here by you know saying certain things and or reposting what other people say and uh and so they were very specific of course trump violated the order or potentially violated the order um very shortly after he after he signed this bond order uh, and his and his lawyer agreed to it the judge agreed to it Fannie Willis agreed to it and you know he he basically he already I mean it specifically says defendant shall not communicate in any way directly or indirectly about the facts of this case with anyone known to be a co-defendant except through counsel um, and you know but but then it, you know it, it, he basically goes on to say say, uh, you know, he basically goes on to say, you know, two posts. Can you believe it? I'll be going to Atlanta, Georgia on Thursday to be arrested by a radical left DA, Bernie Willis, who's overseeing one of the greatest murder and violent crime disasters in American history. In my case, the trip to Atlanta is not for murder, but for making a perfect phone call. She campaigned and is continuing to campaign, and she is in cahoots with Biden. This is election interference. He then goes on to post uh, two hours later, the failed DA of Atlanta, Fonnie Willis, insisted on a $200,000 bond. I assume she thought I was a flight risk. Uh, I would, what would I do? Fly away? Maybe to Russia, Russia, Russia? Share a gold dome suite with Vladimir Putin, never to be seen or heard from again? Would I be able to take my very understated airplane with the gold Trump affixed for all to see? Probably not. I'd be much better off flying commercial. I bet nobody would recognize me. Um, and look, you know, the question is, did he violate this consent bond order? If you look yes. at section four of the consent yes. bond order, it says defendant shall perform no act to intimidate any person known to him or her to be a co-defendant 
uh, or to otherwise obstruct the administration of justice, no direct or indirect threat of any nature against the community or any property in the community. The above shall include any posts on social media. And look, you know, it, it, this is clearly an indirect threat to the community. Um, he does it right after he signs this consent order. And he's basically just throwing it in everybody's face, basically saying, you know what? Go ahead. You can try, but I'm going to keep going, and you're not going to stop me. And eventually, at some point, somebody will ask for a gag order. That'll be the next step. And then after that, we'll see, you know, if they'll do the nuclear option, which is what they do for everybody else, which is incarcerate him. Uh, but, I, you know, I doubt that will happen with him um, just because he's a political candidate and he'll argue First Amendment. But so, you know, we, we still have him to turn himself in so tomorrow. And, uh, and he'll be arrested and, you know, and the other defendants as well. Um, but that's what's sort of different about what's going on in Georgia uh, in terms of what I've seen in other other places, this sort of bifurcation of the arrest and the arraignment. Uh, so that's what we're seeing now is, is just the arrest processing. And, you know, there's been lots of court filings, you know, that, that people are making pre-arrest uh, in these 19 defendants, um, which is also quite unusual. Uh, there have been uh, several, I think three, motions to remove the case to federal court. Uh, we've had um, Mark Meadows, who has filed a motion, uh, Jeffrey Clark, who's filed a motion, and um, the head of the um, Georgia GOP also has filed uh, a motion. His, his name is Schaefer. And, um, and they've all filed motions for, or sorry, the, the former head of the Georgia GOP um, is Mr. Schaefer. And, and they all have filed uh, or, uh, motions to remove the case to federal court. The other interesting motion that's been filed, and we'll talk about these motions for removal, but the other interesting motion that's been filed um, that I want to make sure we talk about is um, Ken Cheeseboro, who filed a motion for speedy trial, which I think is probably the most significant motion that's been filed or the most significant thing that's happened other than the indictment in this case so far, because Georgia has a very different speedy trial law. Every, every jurisdiction has speedy trial laws, um, state and federal, that you have to be ready for trial. You have to say you're ready for trial as a prosecutor um, within a certain period of time. In New York, for a felony, it's six months. Um, and then there's certain periods of time that are excluded. You know, like if the defendant wants to make motions, that's excluded from the six months. Um, but, you know, but in, in this particular case in Georgia, it's a very, very interesting um, speedy trial law. It's Georgia law OCGA section 17-7-1780 sub A. And it says any defendant against to a true bill of an, an indictment, that just means an indictment is filed with the clerk for an offense not affecting the defendant's life, which means not a death penalty case, may enter a demand for a speedy trial the court term at which the indictment is filed or the next succeeding regular court term thereafter. Uh, people have said that means she has to start the trial in November of this year, in like two months. Um, she has to start this trial. And 
and there's so many open questions. What does that mean for the other 18 defendants? You know, many people think speedy trial for one means speedy trial for all. The judge has the discretion apparently to sever. Will the judge sever the ones who demand a speedy trial instead of the ones who, who are going to make motions? What happens if some defendants are removed to federal court? Uh, you know, what, what happens during that? There's so many open questions. It is, it is absolutely perceived uh, to be an act of war on the part of Ken Cheeseborough and the defense attorney to demand a speedy trial in a case like this. It's you're calling the prosecutor's bluff. You're saying, I don't believe that you're actually ready. I'm not going to give you time to prepare. I want my speedy trial in two months. Bring it on. And it's it's kind of a declaration of war. Um, during those two months period. Can I, I ask a quick yeah. question? Yeah. Do you think that's one of the reasons, putting, continuing with your prosecutor view, do you think that's one of the reasons we have that huge gap between I'm ready, uh, indictments are imminent, which she said in March, and the actual indicting document in August, because she wanted to make sure that when she said ready and indicted, she was ready for trial as well? Oh, 100%. She is a professional. She is a, you know, a real pro. She is a real pro practitioner prosecutor. You can just tell. So she knew that this was not only a possibility. She, she's playing in the big leagues. This is, you know, at the Manhattan DA's office, we, you know, also played in the big leagues many times in, in cases. And, you know, you, when you, when you have cases that, that are major league cases, you, you, prepare for everything and you know exactly you, you prepare for all the possibilities and you make sure you're ready for them all you know look in your average run-of-the-mill case you don't always do that because things just sort of go a certain way but in in the big league cases and Fani is is no different she's a real pro so I 100% Popak that's why there was a, a delay um, not really a delay but she took her time to prepare for trial during that time so that this really isn't that short for her so she's going to call the bluff, his bluff right back you know but look it's there are dangers right it's it's um the case is going to be tried in on tv you know the good side is the good thing is trump can't control the narrative right this is going to be um out there for the whole world to see but it also will potentially you know it, it gives everybody one bite at the apple to kind of see how how the witnesses do and create a record of, of cross-examination and you know i'm told that cheeseborough has a really good lawyer so you know this is going to be a real fight but if there's a conviction um and and he gets convicted then i think you're going to start to see a lot of people lining up trying to get a good plea deal yeah i i agree with you the one thing i've been struck struck with so far, and I said on a hot take with Ben, our co-anchor, earlier today about a lot of the activities on this rocket docket, um, high-velocity docket at the, not just at the federal level with Judge Jones, but even Judge McAfee's right out of the box. He's making sure nobody argues, what's the state court judge doing? He doesn't seem to be asserting himself or, or treating this case like a normal case. He is. And, and I think that's helping Judge Jones in his ultimate decision, which he will make early next week. 
whether he wants to take this case or not take this case. Why they're running away from McAfee, I have no idea. She looks like the male version of Eileen Cannon. She, he is, uh, he's been on the bench for three months. He's 34 years old. He was Federalist Society. He was the Office of Inspector General under Governor Kemp. I don't know why they're swimming so fast to try to get away from this guy. I'm not sure the Obama appointee, Judge Jones, is going to be a more hospitable environment for them to make their legal arguments, especially based on what he ruled just today. So let me catch everybody up, because Meadows went very quickly, Jones went very quickly, and so Legal AF had to go very quickly to kind of keep pace. Um, Mark Meadows, and then followed right behind by Jeff Clark, said two things. One, we think on the papers that we've already filed, Judge, you can take this case under federal jurisdiction and rip it out of Fulton County uh, courthouse. Only courthouse. Fonnie Willis comes along for the ride, as does Georgia state criminal law, and it's not pardonable by by the president, whoever that is in the future, because these are Georgia, pardon me, Georgia crimes. Now, but why do they want to be in Fed court? They want to be in Fed court because they're going to try to argue some complicated issues for at least a few of these people about constitutional supremacy clause immunity. I was just doing my job, my job description as acting attorney general or chief of staff for Donald Trump included, I guess, helping him cling to power, not peacefully transfer it to Joe Biden. Um, that sounds more like you're doing henchman work for the candidate Trump, not doing the work for President Trump, which is what would be your federal office. But put that aside for a minute. I'm sure Judge Jones will be drilling down on that issue when he decides whether there's federal jurisdiction. The presumption is there is no federal jurisdiction, and it's going to be the burden on Clark and on Meadows and on Giuliani if he tries or anybody else. I've, I've even heard David Schaefer, the former GOP chairperson, say, well, I was directed as a fake elector by Trump's lawyers, so I get the color of a federal office, and I get to argue federal jurisdiction. Again, why they're running away from Judge... Judge uh, what do they know that we don't know about Judge McAfee? He's only been on for 90 days. They can't possibly know anything. But they want to get that. They want to get a little bit better jury pool that comes out of a federal court practice. A slightly better, although I don't think it's that much better for them in, full, in the Atlanta a proper uh, place that the, the jury would be pulled uh, pulled from. And then they get a fast track through federal appeal process. 11th Circuit, which sits in Atlanta. That's the same 11th Circuit Court of Appeals that, that slapped back Judge Cannon a couple of times when she screwed up fundamentals of criminal prosecution in the role of a trial judge. It looks like she's on her on her road to doing that again. We'll get that late. We'll get that later on in the podcast. And then you get up, you know, fast track to the U.S. Supreme Court. You can still get to the U.S. Supreme Court on some of these things that they would raise in the state court level, but it's harder. So I see why they want to try to slide it over. But as of right now, it's looking terrible for them. Just before we went on the air, like at six thirty. Judge Boone already ruled on an emergency application by both Meadows and Clark to not have to go to the Rice Street Jail by tomorrow and and, and get booked and processed in the state system. Like, it'll, it'll irreparably harm us. And judge, we're going to be with you in federal court one day. And we have This is my artist rendering or my accent that I use for all of their whining, sorry. Uh, we want to be with you and you're going to rule that we have immunity one day. And we don't even want to bother getting our hands messed up with fingerprinting and, and a mugshot. Why? And we've seen the mugshots these other people are doing. We don't want to do that. And the judge said, yeah, great. We'll see you on Monday. In the meantime, you are in the state court 
process. In fact, the removal statute that you, Karen, cited before specifically says unless and until the federal judge takes jurisdiction and ousts the state court proceeding, everything goes forward to the state court proceeding as if there were no application to move to federal court. So go get booked, go get fingerprinted, I'll see you on Monday. You, 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 don't, you don't even have to stay over. You don't have to sleep over in the in the uh, Rice uh, the Rice Street Jail. You can, you'll come out in an hour and then we'll see you on Monday for a full-blown evidentiary hearing. Not just a hearing where lawyers start, you know, talking out of their out of their mouth holes. They have to bring in evidence. And Fawny Willis has already said, I got a great idea. I'm going to bring in a series of witnesses against Meadows and against Clark, and I'm going to do a little bit mini trial. And if we want to know how that's going to turn out, all we got to do is go back to your old office, Karen, four months ago, back in May, when uh, Donald Trump didn't like his judge in New York, Judge Mershon, and he wanted to go across the street to the Southern District of New York Federal Court and got, boy, this sounds eerily deja vu, got a Democratic president-appointed judge, a Clinton appointee, Judge Hellerstein, who did this whole thing, but over a longer period of time, and basically after an evidentiary hearing that went terrible for Donald Trump, where the Manhattan DA's office got to put all the evidence on against him to show that he's a criminal, Judge Hellerstein said, yeah, it's more like they're not that you're a criminal. Get out of my court. Go back to state court. This is going to happen again. And the thing I was struck by where I started this whole analysis with is how little to no coordination there is at all with these 19. They may have been tied together in a conspiracy, as alleged, but they are not cooperating or coordinating at all. I would have thought, especially since some of them are getting their lawyers paid for it by the Save America PAC, that they would sort of join together, at least in groups of three, you know, like a day camp or a camp, and kind of file papers together to accomplish similar objectives. They're not doing that at all. And all that's doing is strengthening Fawdy Willis's hand because this is the game that can't shoot straight. Some of them, like the, the, the highest person on the chain, uh, the totem pole, uh, Donald Trump, who did the worst of all the bad things, he's like, yeah, I'm fine with state court. I'll be there on, I'll be there on Friday. Thank you. And while his underlings, the, all the president's men, are like, no, we don't want to be in state court. And then Cheese Bro jumps off sides, as you described earlier, Karen, and says, not only do I want to stay in state court, I want to have a trial in the next, like, 60 days. Let's do that. So you could tell while maximum chaos is certainly Donald Trump's calling card, I don't think he has any control over what's going on right now. And I don't think he's saying, Cheese Bro, you, uh, you do 60 days, let's go to trial. And you, Meadows... And you, you, you go to federal court and you try to, let's see how that works out. And I'll state, he's not doing any of this. He is in a world now, not of his own making. Welcome to the criminal justice system, Donald Trump. You are no longer the, the leader of the free world. And people wearing black robes and prosecutors now are going to run and ruin your life. You know, interestingly, this whole removal thing and, and why they might want to go to federal court I've been trying to wrap my head around it to understand, because I always try to see the other side, and it's hard to see the other side here because they make these lawless, ridiculous arguments that have no basis in law and no basis in reality. But I still have been really trying to wrestle this into the ground, and this is what I think is going on. So if you remember the... Um, if you remember when, as you mentioned, when uh, when Trump tried to remove the Stormy Daniels case to federal court from the Manhattan DA's office, the reason Judge Hellerstein ultimately said it it will not be removed. If you, so let's just talk about what 
what the grounds are, what the law is on removal. You have to be a federal officer or working at the direction of a federal officer. It has to be part of your job, so under the color of law, so, you know, under the color of your authority. And you have to have a plausible federal defense. And what Judge Hellerstein said was this was, yes, you're, you were a federal officer, Donald Trump, because you were president at the time, but this was not part of your presidency. This was your personal life. And so you weren't acting under in the color of your authority. And so therefore that belongs in, in state court, right? You had a personal lawyer, you were paying off a porn star that you had an affair with in your personal life. That wasn't part of your job description. Like if a federal uh, FBI agent in the course of executing a search warrant um, gets into a fight with somebody and shoots them and uh, you know, that that's a kind of case where he's a clearly an FBI agent and he was executing a search warrant as part of his job and they get into a fight and he shoots someone and he was unjustified. State court can't prosecute that. That would be removed to federal court because that was under the color of his of his job description, right? That's what federal removal is meant for. So let's do that same analysis here, okay? Let's look at Mark Meadows, for example. If you read Fonnie Willis's uh, response to Mark Meadows' uh, motion for removal to federal court, it is absolutely brilliant and genius, okay? She smacks him down in the most beautiful way. So she says, first of all, your entire motion talks about how this is all political. Everything I did was political, political speech, First Amendment. It's all protected. I was I was doing all these things. He made all these admissions in his motion. And what Fonnie Willis points out is that clearly Mark Meadows, his lawyer, has no idea of something called the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act is such a fundamental part of any federal employee it, what they know uh, of what they're allowed to do or not do. And in fact, any employee, I, I was aware of the state equivalent of the Hatch Act when I worked for an elected official. And what it basically says is you cannot mix, you cannot use government resources for political, for, for your political ends. So Donald Trump is both President Trump and candidate Trump during the month of January, you know, during the months of November, December, January, right? The, of um, 2019, 2020, he was both. He was both running for office and he was also president of the United States. And he had two different staffs. He had a campaign staff and he had government staff, right? And those two cannot mix. You can't even, to be specific, you can't even use government stationary or a government printer, or a government telephone, or office space when you are conducting campaign or election-related uh, activities. And Mark Meadows basically admits through his papers that he was doing all these things like helping set up calls, contesting the election, all of the, all of the things that he's accused of doing. That was for candidate Trump. That had nothing to do with the presidency or the presidential duties. And so Fonnie Willis said, basically, 
that is 100% in violation of the Hatch Act. You were not working under the federal, you were not working for a federal, federal officer. You were not a federal officer at the time. In fact, this had nothing to do with your job description. You were actually doing the opposite of what you're allowed to do in your job description. So I think that's why uh, the judge basically said, you know, for now, there's, we're not giving you an emergency stay temporary, you know, the, I'm not ruling on the merits of removal, but I'm also not giving you this emergency stay. You got to show up and get arrested and, you know, and get this thing going. So, so it's really interesting, this, this removal thing. And I think it's going to fall on whether the judge finds that these people, whether it was President Trump or candidate Trump, and whether these people were all acting in the course of their, uh, of their duties as a, you know, whether it's Jeffrey Clark as the, you know, whatever he was, the paw dog, you know, the Whatever, I don't even know what it stands for, but something acting, you know, attorney general, they have all these acronyms, um, you know, that he, that they, 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 whether, you know, he was, yes, he was a federal official, but he was not doing a, a job that was in his job description. In fact, he was helping candidate Trump. And that has nothing to do with, um, with, you know, acting under the color of law. So that's what I think that these removal, uh, removals are going to fall on. And, and just one last thing, the reason I think, to answer your question, that I think they're trying to go to um, federal court, I don't think it's because of the jury pool. I don't think it's because they think the judge is better. You know, I, I think it's because they think if I can get the judge to rule that I was a federal officer acting under the color of um, federal authority, that then they will, and you, you've talked about this before, Pope Pot, they, he, if they can get him to rule in the, those two things, therefore the supremacy clause applies and I can't be prosecuted. I think they think that if I can get those two, those two elements ruled on, it will kick in the supremacy clause and um, they'll say, so the state can't prosecute me. And these are state charges. So, Because as you said, federal removal is still state charges in federal court. They will say, but the state can't prosecute me because of the supremacy clause. So that's why I think it's a strategic decision to get to federal court because then you, you those elements are met. Yeah, they can make the same argument in state court, but they'd rather go federal court, 11th Circuit, Supreme Court for that argument than try to make it with Scott McAfee, who's been on the bench for literally 90 days. Um, we're going to follow all of that um, and what happens, because all of these things are interrelated. One thing I think we've, we've been able to um, talk, talk through in two and a half, almost three years, almost three years of legal AF, is especially in the Trump indictment world all of these things are interrelated not that they're all working together but prosecutors and civil lawyers and state and federal prosecutors they know what each other are doing at least from the public record and they can use it to their advantage and whipsaw the the, the common defendant and i mean common in many levels that's in front of them i'll give you an example from my own civil practice I have, I have been involved with a case on the civil side where I've been suing a party and I know another law firm is suing that same party on something unrelated or maybe slightly related in a, in a commercial world. And I will call them up and say, hey, I'm doing my depositions next week. Why don't you squeeze them and try to get your depositions like tomorrow? Or I'm going to do this in the case. When, what are you doing? The quicker we squeeze together, the better it is for both of our respective clients. If that conversation that I just described is going on, 
you know the prosecutors and the civil lawyers are all say are trying to take advantage of each other's positions uh, as they make chess moves. Oh, you mean you know like Jack Smith saying, and I don't play chess, so I'm going to blow this this, this analogy. But uh, Jack Smith, says, oh look at that move. She did uh, king to queen six. Oh, I'll do, and then he's doing his own chessboard all against the common opponent, which is. Um, uh, Donald Trump. We're going to talk about Mar-a-Lago and everything that's going on with Judge Cannon. We're going to talk about everything that's going on with Judge Chutkin and the trial date war, uh, the warring, dueling trial dates. But first, we have a word from our sponsor. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest <laughs> impacts on your sleep quality? Yeah. If you wake up... Which I found. That's a story that probably nobody's really interested in. Why are you still there? Why are you still there? Hello, darlings. Shout out to KAMP Student Radio with the University of Arizona. If you wake up too hot or too cold, secure facility at Mar-a-Lago will ever happen. We want to see mug shots. I don't think it'll ever oh, Sleeping on bacteria. Dang it. Ooh, gross. On the side cover. That's the best offer you'll find. But you must visit eatsleep.com. I think the maintenance work will ever happen. We want to see the warring, dueling trial dates. But first, we have a word from our sponsor. Oh, Did you know that your temperature that's necessary before the full data dump is made on Donald Trump? And they can't do it because she's like slow footing and dragging her feet on the hearing. And, and when she's running out of reasons to delay that hearing, she reaches, she reaches conclusions like this one. I think the maintenance worker I'm not making this up. I have to laugh every time I say it. The maintenance worker should weigh in. I want to hear what he has to say and his lawyers have to say about how confidential top secret information should be shared with the defense. Okay, stop right there. The maintenance worker is not charged with Espionage Act or anything related to the national defense. He is charged with trying to delete the server housing the surveillance video listening to me, right they were going to stab it burn it so or drown it remover, and sake. that so is his crime of obstruction along with the fact that he lied to the grand jury in the district of columbia about his participation in that that has nothing like to do with what is actually in the box or what is if whether it's top secret so classified or not classified so so don't start rolling she, up your shirt sleeves, does. Mr. Maintenance Worker. And I don't think that having a after an appeal, you're going to get your hot little hands on our national defense information to further compromise national security. But this is the type of thing that she's doing. And now she's got the issue in front of her about, and I want you to take it from there, Karen, Stan Woodward, who is a MAGA hack. Save America PAC paid, bought and paid lawyer through Donald Trump handpicked, who represents not one, not two, not three, but four different Mar-a-Lago witnesses, targets, co-conspirators, indicted or unindicted. He represents the two executive assistants that helped move the boxes around. One worked for Melania and one worked for Donald. They're unnamed in the indictment, but we know who they are. He represents or represented Yusil uh, Tavares, the IT worker, until he didn't, and that's a powerful development that you can talk about, Karen. And lastly, he represents uh, Walt Nauta. So that seems like a lot of people 
within one. What happened just there? Maybe I, I, I touched it. It's frozen. Well, why don't you move it? Because I've had things in my. One alleged criminal conspiracy and witness uh, world to be representing. And Jack Smith, he hatched it in D.C., hatched it in Florida, and now it's in front of Judge Ken. Pick up, pick up from there and take our audience right through to the end about everything related to Ken Skiff and, and Stan Woodward. My view is up to his you-know-what in deep shit with this judge on terms of credibility. Look, you know, let, let's just talk for a minute about what the issue even is with Stan Wood, Woodward representing lots of people or multiple people. And really, the issue is all about a conflict of interest. And, and this is a common sense concept that anyone can understand. They're going to have a Garcia hearing, which, you know, in New York or up in, in um, you know, where I practice, they call it a Curcio hearing in my district, but it's called, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a hearing to determine whether or not there is a conflict and whether a lawyer can represent multiple people. Now, let's just talk about it from a common sense perspective. You don't need a law degree to understand this, this, uh, this concept. And, and we'll talk about it in the, in the course of, um, Go Takapina and um, and and Stormy Daniels. If you remember, uh, if you remember, he at a time represented Stormy Daniels. Okay, what does it mean to represent someone? Uh, it means they tell you your deep, their deepest darkest secrets. They tell you absolutely everything about the case. They tell you all the good, the bad, the ugly. That's why there's something called an attorney-client privilege, because you want to encourage somebody to tell all of their information to your lawyer so that they can adequately represent you. They can figure out what's the best way to help you. So you encourage this open communication. And so then when Joe Tacopina no longer um, represented Stormy Daniels, but then was going to represent Donald Trump, there was a, a conflict issue and people said how can you then represent donald trump if you represented stormy daniels because you know all her facts you're not allowed to use them against her because she told them to you in confidence so how are you going to represent vigorously represent donald trump when you know facts that you can't even use it's just such common sense so same thing here right stan woodward you got him representing Lucille Tavares. Uh, by the way, at the time that he represented Lucille Tavares, Lucille Tavares got himself into a lot of trouble saying, I don't remember. Um, 
and you know he he didn't remember anything all of a sudden he gets a target letter and jack smith you know says look you know let's get him a, a public defender which they did he talks to the public defender he ditches stan woodward and suddenly now he's cooperating with jack smith testified and does remember and he's not going to uh, face any charges he's now a witness which is how it should be but when you got the the pack paid for a lawyer the save america pack paid for lawyer stan woodward is you know it just like it was just like cassidy hutchinson right when she had the trump paid for lawyer she they she said they told her to say just say you don't remember you know they can't they can't get you for perjury for saying you don't remember you know and and don't don't jog your memory don't look at things just you know and she's like but what if i do remember then that would be lying you know, and so, so she went and got her own lawyer, and then suddenly she she told the truth. So that's the case here, right? You've got you've got uh, Mr. Taveras who had Stan Woodward, who shared information with him, established an attorney-client privilege. He then gets his own lawyer, cooperates with Jack Smith. So how is it possible that now Stan Woodward can represent Walt Nada, because Walt Nada and Uciel Taveras and Carlos de Oliveira all were working together to destroy evidence, move boxes, and work for the big guy, you know, who was the one possessing, illegally possessing these things. And they were moving them from, you know, toilet room to ballroom to, you know, Bedminster, back to Mar-a-Lago, moving these things around and then trying to destroy the evidence, right, of the, the tapes showing all of this and, and lying about it. So how can, how can Stan Woodward possibly represent Walt Nada, you know, to the fullest extent when he can't use any of the information that he got from Mr. Tavera. So there's a clear conflict there. We'll see how it goes. You know, he, he's going to try, I'm sure Walt Nada will say, well, I'll waive it. I don't care. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but I just don't see how you get around. It's not, it's not like you represented someone in a different case that might've had information. This is the same case. How is he going to cross-examine Uciel Tavares, he has to cross-examine him. How can you cross-examine someone who you represented? You know, you can't say, isn't it true? What, what, what if Uciel Tavares says something different that he said to, to Stan Woodward? He can't say, isn't it true that when you were sitting in my office, you told me that you didn't remember, and now you're saying you do remember? I mean, it's, it's, it's just common sense shows. It absolutely can't be done. So that, that's what's going on there. That's why Stan Woodward is, is got himself into a real pickle. You, you really can't represent a, the, a witness or um, yeah, a witness and a defendant in the same criminal case. It's just logistically impossible and it's an actual conflict, but you've got Judge Eileen Cannon, so who the heck knows how she'll how she'll rule, you know, because we're we're it's true. It's like it's like you can't even predict what the what, what anyone will do because you're in like the twilight zone legal world. You know, it's don't, not don't you get the sense that on their side they say things like this wouldn't work with the judge. Let's try it with Cannon and see what happens. Just throw it up against the wall. Maybe she'll bite. Uh, you know what? She's she's unpredictable. Is putting it putting it nicely. One one comment on what you just said. I, I agree with everything you just said. But one one further comment about it is um, Woodward is in trouble in my view because when another more senior federal judge, the, the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court, so he's like we're, we're talking about if if 
I'm using baseball here, baseball analogies. If Eileen Cannon is the Miami Marlins, who are playing pretty well this year, you know, this is like, you know, like pick the next team. This is the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit responsible for all things grand jury. took one look at the conflict of interest issue that you just so eloquently pointed out and said, yeah, you know what we're going to do? At least for this moment, I'm going to order that um, Mr. Uh, Tavares have his own independent lawyer not named Stan Woodward. And that's going to be, oh, the first chief assistant public defender for the District of Columbia. And you guys go off into another room, and then you come back, Mr. Tavares, you tell me what you want to do. And Tavares came back in short order and said basically two things. One, I want to fire Mr. Woodward, okay, and said I want to keep my public defender. And secondly, everything I said in March to the grand jury was a lie while I was being represented by Mr. Woodward, and I'm now going to tell the truth. And he entered, now we know, he, and we thought it when we saw the superseding indictment. Yumi and Ben said, okay, Yusil Tavares has, has cooperated and flipped on Donald Trump, and now we know he's got a full immunity deal, and he's telling the truth, because that's what you do when you realize that you've done something wrong, you got a target letter and a target on your back. As I joked on a hot take today with Ben, if you want to get indicted by the government, hire, hire Stan Woodward. If you want to get a deal cut because you know in your heart of hearts that you're not telling the truth, don't use Woodward. He's going to get you indicted. Because the, the, the number one person that the government really wanted, the biggest get that they really wanted at the beginning of Mar-a-Lago indictment was named Walt Nauta. They wanted Walt Nauta. They said, this is an easy, not an easy, nothing's easy. But they said, look, he's the butler. He, I mean, he's, how much can Trump really, in terms of a relationship, have with the guy? And we've got him dead to rights on video, on messages, on email, on chats. I mean, sure, surely he will flip. And no, because his lawyer was, was Stan Woodward, and Stan Woodward went to a meeting to have a discussion with Jay Pratt, the head of counterintelligence for the Department of Justice, who's now prosecuting one of the prosecutors for the Mar-a-Lago case, and he came away with his, his feelings hurt. His own, Stan Woodward's, his feelings were hurt. He didn't give a crap about his, his, his client. Oh, I didn't like the way I was treated. Jay Pratt said mean things to me about I wanted to be a judge one day, and why was I representing NACA? Oh. Oh, in the meantime, you, you just got your client indicted, right? And and now we thought in the beginning, wow, the butler did it. He really did do it. Now we've seen the video, the audio, the the, the surveillance video. You see Tavares now turning on him. Tavares next, by the way. Uh, he, he he's next because he's the maintenance worker, and he's not rep he's represented by another MAGA pack paid lawyer. But he's not, um, he's not represented, at least by Woodward. And what does he have to lose? He was the maintenance worker. A maintenance worker where the government has a recorded phone call between him and the former leader of the free world for 24 minutes. As I joked before, it's the longest recorded phone call in the history of the world between a former president and a maintenance worker. And so he is in deep water. So if anybody else is going to flip... It's going to be that guy. And then this is over. I don't care who the judge is, right? The judge could be judge. It could be Captain Kangaroo. I don't care. The federal court will, will affirm a, a uh, if, if a jury, if a jury finally finds against Donald Trump. But at this, at this rate, I want to get your view on this one as a prosecutor. I think Mar-a-Lago has fallen to a distant third in the horse race. I, not only because of where the trial is going to happen, but in terms of importance to democracy and our justice system. I see Jack Smith's case, the elegant, surgical, 
one defendant, four counts. Trial coming up. We'll talk about it next, uh, about trial dates. And important stuff all about Jan 6, the clinging to power, everything we learned about from the Jan 6 committee. You know, the six links to the chain, you know, the pressure on Mike Pence, the fake electors, the, the fake lawsuits, the pressure on election officials and elected officials. This matters in the history books that we bring him to justice for that. Mar-a-Lago for me is like a cherry on top. Okay, we got him. We got him with his hands in the cookie jar. That's great. Let's get back to Jan 6th. And then Fawny Willis, who I think bought herself, as you've said, in the past, a non-2024 trial because of 19 monkeys in a barrel that she's got to have to try to coordinate unless this thing just goes like Ken Cheesebro wants it. I want to do it, you know, by fall. Uh, and we'll go from there. Where do you think Mar-a-Lago sort of fits in? And then we're going to we're gonna eventually get over to our last topic tonight. I think that Jan 6, you know, there's always a little slippage to the dates, right? So I think January 6 is going to push things as, you know, to a place where that might be, other than Ken Cheesebro and a few others with their speedy trial, now that Fonnie Willis is, is in that situation, I think it's really going to be the Jan 6 Jack Smith case. I think Mar-a-Lago, I mean, hopefully that ends in a conviction, right? So I don't know that Mar-a-Lago goes right after that. Um, we'll see. You know, I, I think I think you're 100% right, though. I think, and I think Jack Smith did it in a way, you know, four counts, one defendant, and he's ready to go. So for that it's reason. Like, it's almost like Mar-a-Lago was a stalking horse for him, right? Let's just, you know, it's almost like a feint. Let's get Donald Trump distracted down in Florida about documents while I build my case behind him, this giant shark of a case, and right and launch it on him back in DC on home turf for the Department of Justice. And I use the fulcrum between Mar-a-Lago and DC to my advantage as I whipsaw the defendant between it. Isn't that starting to look like what's going on there with Jack Smith? When everybody yeah. was all upset, Karen, for why did he go to the Southern District of Florida? He knew he could have gotten Gannon, 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 Gannon. I don't know why I'm using that voice for that. But in any event, now when you look at it, right, isn't he like, isn't he like the Yoda genius that's even above our thinking? We were looking at it like piecemeal. Like, oh, this is an interesting piece. Let's spend an entire hot take on that. When he's got the grander 30,000 foot level, yeah. like, I'm going to send all the troops down here, but I'm going to come around the back and I'm going to attack him from there where he's where he's most vulnerable. I mean, like if he, if he hadn't pulled Judge Cannon, right, Mar-a-Lago is such a straightforward case. You know, it really is. It's it's so I think I think he had contingencies, right? He knew, as you said, he had the whole view. He knew the whole picture. So he's got this case. If he pulls a good judge, who you know that that case could have gone very quickly. It's very straightforward. And but he pulled Cannon, and so you know that now he's just like, okay, so I'll supersede that case. Is you know not going anywhere anyway, anytime soon. And I'll focus on my other case. That's you know. So he he's got he, he's he's walking and chewing gum at the same time so yeah so let speaking of walking and chewing gum judge chutkin down up i keep saying down it's down from me up from florida in dc federal judge chutkin who i was super impressed with back when she was sentenced just sentencing regular old jan six insurrectionists and i always thought she was on the short list for joe biden if he ever 
and I were reporting about her role there and when when she got picked. But to see her in action and compare her to Judge Cannon, I mean, Judge Cannon just does just pales by comparison. Um, we're going to talk about Judge Chutkin and what's going on as we round out this edition of Legal AF. Uh, Midas Touch Network is going to try to do something about the, the debate. We're going to try to wrap this up so people can go watch the debate as well. But we know people like this counter-programming of you, me, and Ben talking about legal and political issues at that intersection. If you want to support Legal AF, it's really easy. Everything I'm going to say is free. Free subscribe to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. They're pushing towards 2 million. They want to hit that before 2024, speaking of dates, in 2024. You can buy, this is this is not free, you can buy an amazingly newly designed t-shirts with a, with a series of new logos by a famous sports logo person that was a friend of Karen's uh, that we love and, and is, is taking off. And you can, of course, uh, after you're done watching us on YouTube, go listen to us and vice versa, cross-pollinate between our podcast platform uh, wherever you get audio from and and here uh, and next we've got sponsors we've got sponsors that support our pro-democracy and legal and political boxing streaming services that exercise app to show your friends you bike 20 miles in the rain and your hometown newspaper for that one homecoming game score there are subscriptions for everything these days, and sometimes it feels impossible to keep tabs on what you're paying for every month. That's why I'm such a huge fan of Rush.